This is Danny, and welcome back to another episode of the Mind of My Wellness podcast. And today, I am so excited because I am bringing back on guest Dr. Brooke Scheller, who I talked all about alcohol with in last week's episode. There was just so much great information that she packed into that episode that I wanted to bring her back for another episode where we're diving specifically into how alcohol affects hormones. Now, this episode is primarily talking about women's hormones, but we do also talk about men's hormones as well. So this episode can be for everybody. I know alcohol is such a hot topic, and I hope that listening to this episode is just providing you more science-based information in terms of how you want to explore your relationship with alcohol. The intention of bringing on Dr. Brooke is really to shed light on how our body is affected by alcohol, whether that's through gut health, through hormone health, which we'll cover today, and how we can supplement our body if we are interested in moving more into that sober, curious, or sober lifestyle. Dr. Brooke is a doctor of clinical nutrition. She's an author. She's a founder of Functional Sobriety, a nutrition-based program for alcohol reduction. And she is just a wealth of knowledge. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I highly recommend you start there before listening to this episode because this episode is a continuation off of last week's episode. In last week's episode, we dove into how alcohol leads to nutrient deficiencies in the body and what those deficiencies can manifest as, what alcohol does to the gut and how that can affect our brain and trusting even our gut feelings techniques to navigate social situations when aiming to eliminate alcohol, and more. And then in this episode, we're diving into specifically how alcohol affects hormone health. Dr. Brooke is touching on how alcohol affects our sex hormones like estrogen and how alcohol affects other hormones like cortisol. Again, I know everyone has a different relationship with alcohol, so what my intention is is just to give you the science-based information to make informed decisions for yourself based off the goals that you have. So without further ado, let's jump on into today's episode. Welcome to the Minding My Wellness podcast, your podcast for all things macros, movement, mindset, and everything in between. I'm your host, Danny Marenberg an ex-yo-yo dieting cardio junkie turned sustainable nutrition coach who's helped over 1,000 women feel confident in their skin by learning how to eat for their goals without sacrificing a life well-lived. I created the Mind and My Wellness podcast to give you simple, effective, and manageable tips you can take away from each episode and implement in your daily life to look and feel like the best version of you. Each week, my guests and I teach you the secrets to mastering your health and owning your power. Nutrition, mindset, movement, and women's health are all topics you'll find here. Think of our time together as your productive little health break from the day. So grab your headphones, fill up your water, and let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Brooke. I'm so excited to have you here after our totally amazing conversation in the last episode. I'm so happy to be back. And I know, like you said, you know, you were thanking me for coming back and taking the time. And this is the kind of stuff I love to do. These are the kinds of conversations that I love to have. 
And we have so much in common. So I feel it's going to be another great episode. So thanks for having me back. Of course. And I couldn't agree more. So in this episode, we didn't even get to touch on the topic of hormones as it relates to alcohol consumption. So I'd love to dive right on into that and talk through how alcohol affects hormones, especially in women. Yeah. And I'll just preface by saying that this is one of those topics that when I start sharing about it on social media, people are really interested because we all know like alcohol affects our liver and and we're learning more about how it affects the brain. And we talked about the effects on the gut. And so some of these areas are a little more obvious, but hormones are one of those things that surprise a lot of people. It doesn't really seem that is possible that they're that closely connected. But the way that alcohol affects the body in all the ways that we spoke about has a kind of secondary effect on hormones. And it's something that so many people don't recognize. But you speak about women in particular, and women have these constantly varying hormone levels throughout our lives, throughout our mid-adult years, but also into menopause. And what we see is, especially with women who have PMS symptoms, irregular periods, a lot of dysregulation in hormones in their adult years, oftentimes we see increased levels of alcohol intake that can be related. But a big majority of my clients are also women in their premenopausal, postmenopausal era who are experiencing a lot of hormone symptoms. And there's a huge uptick in alcohol use in women in that age range too because they're going through a lot of changes. They're going through physical changes with their body. They're often going through lifestyle changes. Kids are going off to college. There's increased stressors. And so we're kind of going through that midlife era. And so there's so many reasons that hormones can be affected and just by nature in our body naturally. So when we add in this additional piece, it can complicate things even further. Yeah, that's a really great call out is, of course, things are changing in the body from a hormonal perspective, but I've never actually thought about it from an alcohol standpoint and how make a really great point is that a lot of our society, I know I was, I fell into this. I'm sure you did too with your story is that oftentimes we will lead with alcohol and we'll use alcohol as a coping mechanism or as a way to relax and unwind. And especially when we're going through some life transitions in periods of time like this. Absolutely. I have a whole chapter in my new book, How to Eat to Change How You Drink on the endocrine system and hormones. And hormones too are not just sex hormones. Those are part of our hormonal system. But our entire endocrine system, which is our hormonal system, is linked together. So things like our sex hormones also play a role into things like our cortisol, our stress hormones, our blood sugar hormones, our hunger and satiety hormones, for example. There's so many ways that the hormones can be impacted, but we often think of hormones as it relates to things like estrogen or testosterone. And I know we want to spend probably a majority of our conversation talking about women's hormones and the impacts there, but there's also huge, huge impacts on male hormones too. Decreases in testosterone levels is a big one. And essentially what happens is testosterone converts to estrogen in the body. So men also have estrogen in production in their body. 
what happens is when we consume or when men consume a lot of alcohol, it actually upregulates that conversion, something called the aromatase pathway, and it upregulates the male conversion of testosterone into estrogen. So what we oftentimes see in men is changes in body composition. We'll see things decreased muscle mass. Sometimes there is increased fat development. There's increased the weight that is in the belly. We often will see things like gynecomastia or breast tissue development in men. So these are very, very common in men too. So I just want to point that out before we go so focused into women that this does not leave the men out too. Absolutely. And that's a great call out because although most of these listeners here are women, I do get a lot of messages about women and their male counterparts and with nutrition or with alcohol. And especially for me in particular right now, because I'm sharing a lot about my hormone journey, my fertility journey, there's a lot of messages just in terms of alcohol from partner's perspective and how that plays into overall fertility as well. But definitely would love to focus more on the women's, but I think it's really important to call out that men aren't off the table here too. And if there are men listening, amazing. I'm sorry that we're not giving you a lot of time here, but <laughs> you know it is impacting you as well. Yeah. And fertility is actually a great place to start because just to even transition from there, alcohol does impact both male and female fertility. So before we transition to talking about women, I'll start with the impacts that alcohol has on sperm quality. And there are studies that show that men who have high alcohol intake do have decreased sperm quality. They have lower motility in sperm. They have decreased sperm counts. And so fertility is often, we focus more on the woman, but there is a, an opportunity to look at the male's part in this as well because that could be affecting too. But I really love, there's a study that came out in 2021 that looked at alcohol intake in women at different points in their cycle and how it affects something called fecundability, which is basically the egg attaching to the uterine lining and implanting for conception. And what this study found was that throughout all parts of a woman's cycle, alcohol consumption affected fertility and fecundability. So that conception or the successful conception of a pregnancy. They did find that alcohol intake in particular closer to ovulation had a greater impact on fertility and fecundability outcomes, but it still affected across the board. And I like to point this out that alcohol has an impact on fertility because most of what we've heard is stop drinking when you get pregnant, that you don't really have to worry about it until you're pregnant and you can worry about it then. And I point this out because if you are listening and you're a woman who has been struggling with fertility and you are a frequent or a regular drinker, that is something to take into consideration on your journey. That if you're having trouble, eliminating alcohol can be part of that successful pregnancy. And I know it's not always the thing that we want to hear because stress. And oftentimes alcohol is used to cope with stress and the fertility journey can be stressful as you're experiencing, but it can also be something that's holding you back in the meantime. Yeah. 
in terms of men, let's say that there is a woman listening and they're starting their fertility journey. Her partner does consume alcohol. Is there a certain amount of or a number of drinks per week that there seems to be this noticeable difference? And if you exceed this, it really starts to hinder or is it just any alcohol at all for men as well? Well, I think I'm not sure off the top of my head if there's any specific numbers or even research done to say that after a certain threshold of the man drinking that there is X type of effect. But what I can say is that it's important to test sperm quality. If there's unsuccessful pregnancy, again, a lot of times we put that burden on the woman. The woman goes through these invasive procedures. It's easier technically to test a man's sperm and to learn more about the quality of the sperm. So I would suggest if you're struggling with fertility and you haven't had sperm tested, start there. If you find that there is low sperm quality, low sperm count, low motility, and there's alcohol in the picture, then it's worth considering cutting back. And that might mean elimination, I would say, depending on how affected the sperm might be, you would determine then what alcohol intake should look like moving forward. So it's definitely something that during this fertility journey, both partners should be considering. Absolutely. It's definitely a two-way street. I'm learning that more and more. We had We Natal, they're a prenatal brand on, talking about the importance of him as much as her and how he's 50% of the equation. So 50%. That's not a small chunk of the percentage. And unfortunately, women get take a lot of and carry a lot of this burden. And this feeling of something's wrong with me or that I am doing something wrong and we're really not paying enough attention, I think, to the male side. Absolutely. So you mentioned quite a few different hormones there at the beginning. Do you mind diving into each of those just a little bit in terms of how alcohol is contributing? I know cortisol Cortisol is a huge buzzword, I feel like, right now that I get a lot of DMs about, oh, is it my cortisol? Hormones in general, I think it's important to understand, to your point, there are more than just sex hormones. So take us through what some of these hormones are and how they're affected by alcohol. Yeah. So I don't want to skip over the sex hormones, though, Mm -hmm. because they are still important. We talked a little bit about testosterone and more specifically for men, but Let's not leave behind female hormones, so estrogen, progesterone. Now, from a more global perspective, there's several reasons why alcohol is going to affect hormones across the board. Some of that has to do with the liver and how alcohol affects the liver because hormones are also produced and stored and metabolized by the liver. So when we are putting a lot of stress on the liver from an alcohol perspective, it deprioritizes the importance of hormones. And I always like to explain it in this way. I love this example. So if you're listening, pay attention to this part right here. The hormonal system, the reproductive system of the body, is the only system of the body that you can remove the entire system and still live. You can't remove your neurological system. You can't remove your GI system. You can't remove your any musculoskeletal system. However, you can have a full hysterectomy, remove all of your sex hormones, and your body will still survive. If we take that example, what that means is that anytime our body is in a state of stress, the first system to go is going to be the reproductive system. 
We don't need it to survive. When the body is in a state of stress or a a kind of a dangerous situation, if you will, the hormones are going to be deprioritized, number one. So with that being said, if we think about the liver and the multiple kind of jobs or roles that the liver is playing in the body, when alcohol is coming in as a toxin, because that's what it is, people don't like to hear that it's a toxin, but it is. When it's coming into the body, the body is going to say, pause the other processes. We have to focus on alcohol metabolism and alcohol elimination because it's causing damage in the system. So that is one big way that alcohol is affecting hormones is by way of the liver. One of the other areas that alcohol is affecting is our cortisol. And cortisol is our body's main stress hormone. Exactly like you said, Danny, it's one of these big buzzwords. In fact, I have a post right now that has currently been going viral for the last two weeks that is about cortisol and alcohol. And this is a topic people love to hear about. And it's just one of those hot button topics. It's something that we're hearing a lot about in different podcasts. We're hearing about different supplements and things that can help support cortisol or normalize cortisol. However, we can't just pick this one thing to be like the only most important thing in our body, but it does play a role. And alcohol raises cortisol levels, point blank. Stress in general is going to elevate cortisol levels, but alcohol has this pretty significant impact on our body's release of cortisol. And the challenge with excess production of cortisol is that it is part of this, let's just almost call it like a seesaw with our stress hormones and our sex hormones. When we have overproduction of stress hormones, all of the body's production in the hormonal pathways are going to go to production of cortisol. That means, in the same way we talked about like with the liver, the body's going to deprioritize the importance of reproduction. So it is going to basically move all of its chess pieces to supporting the production, the body's production of cortisol, And again, not as much focus on production of things like estrogen and progesterone. So there's several different ways that this is affecting the body. But it's important to, again, talk about hormones as a piece of the pie rather than an individual pie each hormone because they all really do work in tandem. They all do affect one another. In the same regard, another big area I talk about and we spoke a little bit about on the last episode we did together is blood sugar. Blood sugar is affected by hormonal changes in the body, things like glucagon and insulin. These are hormones. And when we have stress, that's going to affect blood sugar. When we have stress or hormonal imbalances, it's also going to affect the thyroid. It's also going to affect things like our hunger and satiety hormones, things like leptin and ghrelin. So there's this, it's super complex. And the big thing to understand is that when you can start to identify the parts of your body that are maybe affected, so hormones, for example, if you have hormonal symptoms or you have thyroid-related symptoms or you have a thyroid imbalance, you have hypothyroidism or you have Hashimoto's, If you can identify that those things are present and you have alcohol in your system or in your lifestyle, that is going to be affecting that bar none. So 
first and foremost, you can take a lot of supplements and try to do things to balance your hormones. But if you are consuming alcohol, it will be holding you back. I think there are going to be people listening who feel, yeah, I really understand this concept, but alcohol is a really big piece of my life. It's the social aspect. It's this community aspect. I know we touched on this quite a bit in length in our last episode, just in terms of social situations with alcohol. But I do know that there are going to be people who alcohol is going to remain part of their life. What recommendations would you have for those who still want to incorporate alcohol? Are there any sort of precautions that they can take while still incorporating alcohol into their life? I know you're really focused on how your body can really thrive without alcohol, but I'm curious to know what your perspective is on that. Well, that's the zillion dollar question, right? Is how do I drink alcohol and not let it affect me negatively? And unfortunately, we have not solved that problem. I think there's been a lot of money and research poured into, and even what we saw prior to the alcohol-free surge is we saw a huge surge in hangover products. So supplements or drinks that you could take that would alleviate a hangover theoretically. You know, there are things in theory that you could take that would minimize the damage of alcohol in your system. Things like NAC or glutathione, which really help with detoxification, waste removal, with essentially reducing inflammation or free radical damage, which occurs when we consume alcohol. People don't like to hear that alcohol is likely contributing to ailments that they have. And what I always like to explain, and I totally get this, like, listen, I used to be a daily drinker, like I completely, completely understand. But if you are listening and you have a health goal, you have a hormone imbalance, you're identifying with some of what we've spoken about, you know, let's just use an example of having a thyroid imbalance. If you're someone who has a stubborn hypothyroid, maybe you've taken medication and your numbers balance out, but you're still struggling with weight management or achieving the weight that you're working toward and you're consuming alcohol, that instantly is a red flag for me in that I talk about this, I call it the vodka club theory. And the vodka club theory is that we think that if we drink a clear liquor, that it's lower in carbs or calories that is going to be better for us or not affect something like our hormones. And the problem with it is that it isn't, yes, the sugar and carbohydrates in a drink is going to contribute to sugars and carbs and those types of things. But more problematic is the actual alcohol itself because the alcohol itself is what's affecting the hormones. So I always say to people, I get it. Trust me, I do. But if you have a health goal or a health concern that you're struggling getting a hold on and alcohol is in your lifestyle more than I would even say once a week, a glass or two a week, I would say anything over that is potentially contributing to those health effects. And I would love to say that, yes, you can eliminate the damage of alcohol, but unfortunately, it is something that I have found through the research to be really problematic and something that I think so many of us are we're willing to make changes in every other avenue and not alcohol. 
And if that's also you and you identify with that, I would have you dive deeper into why that is. I hope you're loving today's episode. I wanted to quickly interrupt to share with you something that I only wish I knew years ago on my health journey that changed everything for me. I was the girl who had tried every diet under the sun, worked out seven days a week, yet was constantly left feeling disappointed that all my hard work and time wasn't paying off. Can you relate? If the answer is yes, then my free training, Three Steps to Transform Your Body with Macros, is just for you. In this training, I share the secrets to leveraging your metabolism to lose fat without restriction, eliminating the foods you love, or sacrificing a life well-lived. So if you're ready to say so long to yo-yo dieting and kick low-calorie diets to the curb, you're not going to want to miss this free training. Head on over to mindedmymacros.com forward slash free training to register today. Or you can head on over to my show notes to find the link. I hope to see you there. All right, now back to the episode. Yes, our social circles are drowned in alcohol, and you've probably used it at celebrations and weddings and birthdays and parties and happy hours with coworkers and in relationships. But there is a huge shift happening in our culture right now around non-alcoholic beverages, non-alcoholic spaces opportunities to join in things like dry Januaries or sober Octobers, take a dry month. So it is the best time to explore alcohol elimination or reduction. And I also always challenge people like, give it a try. See what you feel. See what comes up because you might find that you haven't gone without it in a long time and that it's easier than you thought it might be. So just keeping an open mind on it. And I always think there's always tug that we get on this topic. So like if you're listening right now and you're like, I don't know if I can do this, but you're listening and you're going, I'm kind of curious. Maybe it would be good for me to try this. Go with that because that's telling me that there's something in there for you. And we talked about it last time, Danny, like my entire life changed with good eliminating alcohol. I was able to start a business that I had been wanting to do for years. I got a book deal, something I had been wanting to do for years. I ran a half marathon. I did all these things that I had wanted to do for years and years and years, but alcohol was holding me back. And I really believe that if you're listening and there are things that you want to do, that alcohol may be holding you back. And I know it feels hard to do and a hard decision to make, but it's one of the most rewarding things. And I think you've shared that experience too, Danny. I have. And I think it's also important to remind that it doesn't have to feel overwhelming. There's no all or nothing mindset around it either, where if you are like, yes, you know, I really want to reduce my alcohol intake or eliminate alcohol from my diet. And then Christmas comes around and you have a glass of wine and you're really hard on yourself. It's all a learning process. We don't need to be too hard on ourselves, And what was reminding myself as I was going through this phase, and, and honestly, I went through a whole year process of me really identifying like, okay, alcohol is not serving me. I noticed that my anxiety primarily is just so triggered by alcohol. 
my anxiousness is just through the roof when I drink, following when I drink uh, specifically. That alone, I started noticing, okay, you know what? This is very clearly causing some issues, but I was running up against a, a lot of those social situations where I didn't really know how to navigate. And again, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, I highly recommend going back and listening to it because Dr. Brooke and I talked through a lot of strategies around this, but it did take me a full year to get to where I am now, where I have no problems not, not drinking alcohol. I feel amazing. And I've just noticed the complete benefit from re- eliminating it from my diet completely. And now I know how to navigate those situations. But I think it's really important to, if you're listening and you feel like that's a really far off goal, be easy on yourself. And taking one step, one foot in front of the other each and every day, that's going to get you closer to that end goal than having this all or nothing mindset around alcohol and feeling like you're failing if you have that one that one glass yeah. over the holidays. It's important to point out, and I agree with you entirely, and part of the reason why I launched an online community that is focused around wellness and alcohol freedom, and part of why it's wellness-oriented is because the women who are in my group were really looking at this through the lens of health, and this being a choice that is made for your health, and how we kind of keep that as the forefront of our reason or intention why that we're doing it. But the reason why I launched a community was because people need community. This is one of, it's studied in research. The reason why programs like AA, for example, work is because of the community element. It's because it's really dang hard to go into your social circle of people who drink and quit drinking. So what we have to do is we have to start finding more people that we can learn from or that we can relate to and develop a sense of community around other people who are non-drinkers. It's really, really important to find others so that you know you're not alone because I can tell you if you are listening and you've struggled with alcohol or you've struggled with feeling alone in your experiences with it, I can guarantee you that there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who have gone through something very similar. So it's about finding a group of people that you can start to relate to and can really empower you and lift you up and show you the way. I also think when it comes to understanding symptoms that might be coming up or, you know, these red flags, for me, again, it was my anxiety was the big one. Anxiety and and skin issues, actually. So Anxiety and skin were the two things that I actually just thought that that was normal. It was so consistent in my life because alcohol was very consistent in my life. I wasn't really able to disperse the two or correlate the two until much later. So I'm sure that there are people listening, not even realizing that they're having reactions to alcohol and won't really realize it until they go through this process of eliminating it for a while to see how that comes up for them, what they notice. What are some of the biggest changes? I know it probably depends person to person, but if there are any big changes that you've noticed throughout your time, you know, helping others and with all the clients that you've worked with, what are some of the major realizations that people have when they do start to eliminate alcohol? Well, just even to bring it back to hormones, hormonal imbalances are something that so many people are experiencing, whether it is 
you know, you've had hormones tested and you know that they're off. So you know that you have underproduction of estrogen or you have low progesterone. Or again, if you're a man who has low testosterone, the symptoms that come with hormonal imbalances can be really prominent in those who have, a, you know, an alcohol use history. So something like PMS even, where maybe you have heavy periods or irregular periods, maybe you have really extreme mood changes around the time of your cycle. These are things that we've called quote unquote normal, like you said, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it is normal. It doesn't mean that the body should be doing that. Infertility is another really big one for women who are in that menopausal era. If you're experiencing extreme menopausal symptoms, if you're experiencing a lot of hot flashes or mood changes or changes in energy or body weight, and you're consuming alcohol, those two things can be connected. You know, exactly what you're saying, Danny, with anxiety and depression, that is huge for a lot of people who consume alcohol. It was part of the reason why I quit because my anxiety was probably at a 12 out of 10. And I, for a long time, pretended like alcohol wasn't making that worse because of exactly what we're talking about. You know, not knowing how to live without it, not knowing how to socialize without it or how to move forward to learn how to quit drinking. And that can be the result of several different things, but that can actually be the result of hormone imbalances. That can be the result of extremely high cortisol production. That can also be the result of things like changes to the gut microbiome and deficiencies in nutrients that affect our serotonin or our dopamine. But as a whole, there could be so many things that manifest from alcohol. But what I would say is if you have a health concern or a health goal and you are a frequent drinker, so I would again say anything like more than one or two drinks a day, one or two days per week, anything over that is probably affecting a health symptom that you have. So if that's skin, if that's a hormone imbalance, if that's GI related, if that is joint pain or headaches or migraines or whatever it might be, there's a good chance that alcohol is either making it worse or the cause of it across the board. Like you said, acne. I mean, I was just, I had someone just commenting on a post the other day on Instagram about how they had horrible acne and their doctor prescribed them Accutane and they were going to start the Accutane, but before they did, they quit drinking. And when they quit drinking, their skin completely cleared up. They never took the Accutane. So we're always willing to put a pill on it and not address the root cause symptom. And there's a good chance alcohol is the root cause of some of what you're experiencing. Yeah. I mean, personally, again, going back to the anxiety and the depression, it was never something that was brought up to me when I went, when I went and saw my primary care physician, it was more of like, okay, let's, yeah, let's find some, some band-aids that we can place on it. It was never, you know, let's look into your lifestyle. Oh, let's identify, okay, you're having, you know, two drinks a night. Okay. Maybe let's cut back there. I think also when it comes to fertility, my experience has been, we've looked at hormones, but nothing talking about how alcohol is affecting those hormones. So this is all very enlightening for me as well to really understand, you know, how alcohol is contributing to that. I think too, when it comes to anxiety 
in depression specifically, it kind of becomes this self-perpetuating cycle where we experience anxiety, we experience depression. So then we're coping with alcohol and it leads to this spiral. Do you have, and I know you do, you have a lot of resources, but what resources would you recommend for somebody who might feel like they're in that cycle and how to break that cycle? Well, the first resource is my new book, How to Eat to Change How You Drink, because I talk a lot about that. I talk a lot about mood and anxiety and depression, partially because it was a big part of my story, but it's a big part of most of our stories. And you're exactly right. We get caught in this vicious cycle of I'm anxious, so I drink, and then it makes me more anxious, so I drink again. And again, there's a lot of reasons why alcohol is triggering anxiety. One of them has to do with nutrient deficiencies. And this the more that we drink, the more we deplete out important nutrients that support the production of serotonin and dopamine in our brain and support a good healthy mood and healthy responses to stress. And unfortunately, that cycle is we drink, we deplete out those nutrients. So we have anxiety, we drink again, we continue depleting those nutrients. So we get caught in this cycle. And it's it's really, really common. But Anxiety can be caused also by changes in the gut microbiome. It can be caused by effects to cortisol production and the like. So first and foremost, it's helpful to start informing yourself or arming yourself with information. And that's a big part of why I wrote the book, because nutrition is a huge tool, a very underestimated tool in my book as part of this journey, because the effects of alcohol are very damaging. I have people all the time will reach out and I know you've probably heard this from some folks too that they cut out alcohol and they still don't really feel great and they think well you know what's the point because I don't even feel any better when I hear that I hear you need more support with nutrition because there's something that you're missing there's an imbalance that's going on and if we don't address that it's going to make it harder to stay stopped it's going to make it harder to say no so the reason why I wrote the book is because you can use tools like nutrition to make it easier to quit. So you can use nutrition to support minimizing cravings. You can use it to minimize anxiety and stress, which are a big part of the reason why people drink. So it's about this kind of comprehensive approach that we can take in terms of finding community, finding people around us that can support us, starting to dive deeper into the health aspect or bring in nutrition as a tool and know that it's not just a one-sided thing. It's not just about cut out alcohol and white knuckle it and hang on to your seat as tight as possible because otherwise it's too hard. It's a really, really beautiful lifestyle without it. But it does take a lot of time to adjust and to re-stabilize your body, your mind, your environment without it. This perfectly segues into my last question I have for you, which is, I think you answered it a little bit already, but would you recommend supporting? Like if you are, if this, if someone's listening saying, okay, you know what? I definitely want to eliminate alcohol from my life. Would you recommend supporting on the nutrient side? through nutrition and, and potentially supplementation as they are eliminating alcohol? Or is that something that can be done? Let's say somebody is two months into eliminating alcohol and maybe they're experiencing some things like you mentioned, they're not feeling their best. I'm assuming it's not too late at that point, correct? 
It's never too late. In fact, it's even more important at that point because that's just telling us there's a need for more support. But I launched earlier this year supplements through my brand called Functional Sobriety, which is basically a functional medicine approach or a nutrition-based approach to a sober, sober, curious life. And the reason why I launched the Functional Sobriety supplements is because I get asked very frequently about supplements and which ones are right at which kind of points in time. And for that reason, we designed three different packs that are intended to support people where they're at. So we have a pack for the sober curious called FSC. And that is more for people who are still having some drinks, but wanting to start marching kind of toward a lower alcohol or no alcohol lifestyle. We have a pack called FS1, which are is our beginner's pack. So it's for anyone who's in their first six months of sobriety. And then we also have FS Plus, which is designed for those who are six plus months in sobriety um, beyond that kind of early stage, because there are different levels of support that each person might need in their body. Especially if someone is maybe really early on in their journey, it's more important to focus on nutrient replenishment or some of these kind of craving support tools. Whereas someone who's a little bit further along and wants to support their body, maybe needs a little bit more support in balancing stress or starting to address other systems like hormones or like the GI system, which aren't necessarily critical elements in the first part, but part of that more long-tailed approach to a healthy body in sobriety. I just love what you've put together. I love your approach. I've never seen anything else like that. So I can't wait. I've already pre-ordered your book. I can't wait to get my hands on it. And I'm so excited for your launch. By the time this episode airs, you can go buy the book now, which I am going to highly recommend you go do. If you found this episode at all interesting, especially if you're navigating your journey on your own. So the last thing I just want to jump in and say, Danny, too, is the book is written in a way that regardless of where you're at in your journey, it's for you. So If you are brand new to the conversation about alcohol reduction or elimination, it is for you. If you are six months sober, two years sober, it is also for you because the tools are going to help you across the board. And there is a lot of information throughout that will point you toward if you are a little bit earlier on in the journey or later in the journey. But I want to just point out that it is really, really helpful as a starting point, if you're new to this conversation as well, in a very loving and caring way, I promise. (laughs) It's all about support in this phase of their journey. Amazing, Dr. Brooke. Thank you so much again for joining for part two, diving in deeper into the hormone side of things. And congratulations again on your book. For those listening that want to learn more, where can we find you? Yeah. So you can learn more about me at my website, functionalsobriety.com. You can follow me on Instagram is where I'm most active at DR, Dr. Brooke Scheller. And you can order the book. I have to get used to saying that. (laughs) You can order the book through my website at functionalspready.com or anywhere that books are sold. So your favorite retailer, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, etc. Amazing. Well, congratulations, Dr. Brooke. And thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you so much for having me, Danny. Great to chat with you again. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. 
I love hearing from you. So shoot me a DM over on Instagram at mind and my macros to keep the combo going. If you've learned anything from this episode or any of my past episodes, I'd really love it if you took a few seconds to leave a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I love hearing what you've learned or what you've taken away from any of these episodes. It means so much to me when you do that. And if you have any friends you know that need a little help kicking some old dieting mentalities to the curb and want some simple, effective, and sustainable tips to feel their best, share a link to this episode with them. Thanks so much for listening and I'll catch you next time.